Good morning, church. Um, If you would, please turn to Colossians chapter 1. We'll be in verses 13 through 23. Um, This morning, when I was asked to uh, teach a few weeks ago, I kind of was wondering what direction to head, but I feel like this is a a very good topic for us to um, dive into, especially with the Christmas season. just celebrating that yesterday, and then where Joey is in the text in the book of Luke, where we're about to go into the crucifixion. Um, Today, we're going to be discussing the deity of Christ, and we need to have that reminder of exactly who Christ is, which is he is God. And so Paul, in the book of Colossians, hammers on this pretty well because he is combating false teaching that has crept into the church of Colossae. Um, As y'all probably know, Paul didn't actually start the church at Colossae. Um, He was not the head pastor of it. The uh, head pastor's name was Epaphras. And Epaphras and Paul had a relationship. And Epaphras had addressed with Paul some of the concerns he had for his church in Colossae. And one of the false teachings that had crept into that body of believers was the idea that Christ himself was not God. Yes, he was the saving Savior or Lord, but he was not recognized as deity. And so Paul, in his first chapter that he writes, addresses this. And so as we pick up in verse 13, I'm going to read through 23 and then we'll pray and then we'll be flipping to some other passages in in the scripture. But Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be, preeminent for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross and you who were once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let us pray. Father God, thank you so much for this time that you have blessed us with together, God. We're so grateful that your son, Jesus Christ, who is God, 
came to this earth to be our Lord and our Savior. And we're so grateful that we were able to celebrate Him and that saving grace that He has come to bestow on us, to live with us, to dwell with us, God. And Lord, as we open up Your text, I pray that You'll use me to bring Yourself glory and honor, that I'll convey it truthfully. And Lord, that we will leave here with a better grasp and a better understanding that Christ is indeed God and that we will proclaim that and we will not hide from that, Lord. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for this time and I pray that you will be honored and glorified. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Paul, in his very first verse that we read, he talks about how God has delivered us from the domain of darkness, how we are bound in our sin, how we are dead in our sin, and he tells us that in Ephesians chapter 2, that we are by nature children of wrath. And he transfers us from that darkness into the light of his kingdom, of Christ's kingdom. That is the salvation that we are provided through Christ. That is the transfer from us being citizens bound for hell and now being citizens of heaven. And we are participants in Christ's kingdom. So here, Paul writes and he establishes that Jesus is the king. And if God has made Jesus king, then automatically you are to assume that Jesus is not just merely a man. There is more significance to him than just being a man. Transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Greek word here for redemption means a payment of ransom. It's used for freeing slaves from bondage. We only receive redemption through Christ. And Christ was a perfect sacrifice on the cross. If Christ came as man and was only fully man when he came, he would have been, as David wrote in Psalms, born into iniquity, born into sin. Uh, Psalms 51.5 tells us that, that David writes, he was born into iniquity, born into sin. And David, being a Christ-like character from the Old Testament, who has earned the uh, quote of being after God's own heart, even he acknowledged that he was born into sin. But Christ wasn't born of men, as we all know, as we all celebrated yesterday. Christ was born from the Spirit, right? given to Mary, and he is conceived by the Spirit as the Immaculate Conception. So therefore, Christ is not man in the sense that we are. He did indwell the fullness of man, but he is also the fullness of God. And he didn't come by nature the way we did in the sense of we came from two, two depraved humans. He didn't. And so he paid the price for our sins. He's the one that was able to provide the perfect sacrifice to pay for that payment. And then now, as we get later into the text, in uh, verse 15, Paul continues about Christ and who exactly Christ is. <clears throat> he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The Greek word here that is used in the for, uh, for image is literally icon, and it's exactly where we get our English word icon from. It literally means the copy or likeness. Christ is the perfect 
image of God. He is the exact likeness of God. And then you read, he says that he is the perfect image, the perfect likeness of the invisible God. So he is the physical representation and the physical manifestation of God. And then he says he's the firstborn of all creation. Do not let that terminology, firstborn, fool you. That is terminology that is all throughout Scripture. And while it does can, can mean, it will possibly mean the firstborn. In this instance, it is the firstborn in rank or the firstborn in preeminence. We think about the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob received the birthright, right? But it was Esau who was absolutely the firstborn who came out of the womb. But Jacob and Israel was preeminent. They were ranked first. God's nation, the Israelites, were ranked first. Christ is preeminent. He is before all things. He ranks one. And then he takes us to creation. And he says it's all over creation. He is the firstborn. He is above creation. And so that takes us to the story of creation. And as Joey often hits, that if you miss the doctrine of creation, then you're set up, set up for failure. You've missed the boat. But as we turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we read, In the beginning, God. Well, the Hebrew word here used for God that is used over 2,500 times in the Hebrew text is the word Elohim. I hope I pronounced that right. But that is the plural form of God. It is not the singular form. The singular form would be El or Eloah, but it is Elohim. And we see where God is addressed in a plural sense in the book of Genesis, if you'll flip with me to Genesis chapter 1. Look at the very uh, popular verse that you probably all know. It's verse uh, 26 in chapter 1. It says, Then God said, Let us make man, let us, there's a plural pronoun there, in our image, that our is a plural possessive pronoun, after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish in the sea and over birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So there is in the very beginning the establishment of a plural formed God. And of course the Old Testament isn't as clear as the New Testament is, but we get clarification in the New Testament of how this works and by what? The Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And these are three different persons making up the triune God. But it is evident and it is clear that all three persons of God are there in the beginning. They are not created beings. They are the creators. And as believers, we must always, always cling to that fact and never back down from that because once we do, we are pulling away God into not being creator. And then we're saying denying Jesus as being 
not there when he was in creation. And Paul continues back in Colossians. He says, for by him all things were created. Jesus is part of creator in heaven and on earth. Everything that was created by God, it was also created by Christ. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Let's tackle that. Not only is Christ creator and he is established over everything that is visible and invisible, but it says thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. It's every type of government, governmental system that has ever come throughout history, that is every king, that is every person of any kind of significance, that is everything Christ is over. Whether it was a failed government, whether it's a government to come, Christ has dominion and authority over it. And this is not a mere just man that God decided to make significant. He is God. He has the essence of God. He is the image and the likeness of God. And he says this, all things were created through him and for him. So all of creation, every entity, every part of it was created through Christ and also for Christ, meaning it's for his joy for his pleasure, for whatever he wants to do with it, it is Christ. It belongs to him. <clears throat> and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. <clears throat> he is eternal. He is there in creation as we established in Genesis John starts similar in his gospel, John chapter 1, verse 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And later in his chapter, he identifies that the Word takes on flesh, and he came down and lived as man. Christ is the full embodiment of God's Word. And he is eternal, and he is God. And he is the head of the body of the church. Christ is authority, not only over all of creation, but he is the authority over the church. He is the head. He is the pinnacle. He's what drives the church. He controls it. He holds it in his hand. And if Christ were not God, his ability to hold those things together and to keep those things together would not be possible because that is only something reserved for the true God. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Christ is the only figure that we have in history who was resurrected from the dead and did not die again. Uh, we can think of the other person right off the top of my head 
who was resurrected, which was Lazarus. But Lazarus also died another physical death after he was resurrected. Christ did not because he wasn't bound by the physical death because he is not a mere mortal. He is God. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We have a lot of false teachings and a lot of false doctrines that will embrace the idea that Christ is a good man, that Christ was a good person, that Christ was a prophet, that he was a missionary of God for sorts, but they will not go as far to say that the fullness of God dwelled in Christ. And we have people even who live under the Christian realm who identify themselves as Christians who still do not believe that Christ is indeed God. I don't know how that will sit when we read in Romans chapter 14 verse 12 when it talks about how every one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. If we stand in front of God and the Son and we deny that Christ himself is God, how will that play out for us? One of the uh, things we'll be celebrating here in a couple of weeks is Martin Luther King Day. And Martin Luther King was a great uh, person in history. He did a lot of things for civil uh, unrest to come together and for fight racism and all that. And a lot of churches you'll hear, and I've sat in churches before, that talked about how great of a Christian Martin Luther King was. Well, here's a problem with acknowledging him as being as great as he was as a Christian. Martin Luther King, when he was in seminary, wrote an uh, essay entitled The Humanity and Divinity of Christ. And in it, he adamantly denies that Christ was full God. He uses, and I'm paraphrasing, he uses the idea that God gave him divinity in the times in which Christ needed it when he was on earth. But Christ achieved divinity by being obedient to God. That is a perverse doctrinal stand as to Orthodox Christianity as we truly believe that Christ is God and He is part of the Trinity and is part of the triune God. And to belittle Christ into being some person who was able to achieve divinity at certain times of His life is pretty much to deny the Christian faith. So we have to be careful with who we vouch for as being a devout Christian. And we have to be careful as to what kind of doctrine that we are enabling people to believe. This is one thing that we must railroad on and stand on consistently is that Christ is God. And if we ever back down from that, then woe is us. <clears throat> Now, we get back into Colossians. He says, And through him, as God has poured the fullness of him, 
was, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Christ is enabled because he is God. He has the power and authority to reconcile himself all things. Everything that could be come to him. He can make peace with them. He has the ability, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. There is no man who could possibly do that. There is no man that will ever walk this earth that could do that because they do not have the power nor the authority. Christ does have the power and he does have the authority to reconcile to him all things. And then Paul continues in verse 21, giving us where we fall in the picture. <clears throat> he likes to take us back to where we were pre-Christ and then tells us where we were, where we are with Christ. In verse 21, he says, and you who were once who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Same place we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 2, where he writes that we are by nature children of wrath. <clears throat> he says, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Christ provides us redemption Christ provides us reconciliation with himself and with God. Apart from Christ, there is no reconciliation. There is no redemption. There is just merely us headed to hell and bound in our sin. And because Christ is God, he was able to do this. He was able to purchase us. He was able to reconcile us. He was able to redeem us and in order to present us holy and blameless above reproach before him. If Christ was not perfect in every sense of the way, and if Christ was not God in every fullness to the, to the extent of being God, there's no capable way of him making us holy and blameless above reproach before him. So we can never, ever take away the fact that Christ is God. If we removed that from our doctrinal stands and our theology, we no longer have Christianity. <clears throat> so we must cling to this. He says in verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you had heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I of which Paul became a minister. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> that is our responsibility, is to stay the course, to stay in Christ. We have, we struggle, or I struggle, with the juggling of the human responsibility and God's sovereignty. And it's been best suggested that we struggle with both 
that we don't go all, all in on one and forget the other. We struggle and fight with both. So we continue in the faith. We're stable and steadfast. We're enabled to be stable and steadfast by Christ, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that we have heard. If we get to the point where we deny Christ's deity, we are shifting from the hope of that gospel. We are shifting from the gospel that we proclaim. And we have embarked or embraced a false teaching or a false doctrine. I, don't, I know that most of us here probably don't struggle with identifying Christ as God. But you will be remarkably surprised at how many people do and you'd be remarkably surprised at how many of these people that do struggle with that identify themselves as true Christians. <clears throat> One of the things that I wanted to do this Christmas season with my children, and I do fail teaching my children what I should a lot. One of the things that we did when I read the Christmas story, and I tried to read the Christmas story two or three times a week, was to tell them that I would, after we'd read, I would ask them, who is Jesus? And of course, I would get, Jesus is the son of Mary. Jesus is the son of God. But I almost always tried to hammer in the fact to my children that when I ask you, who is Jesus? I want you to answer, Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. Reading this text and reading about Martin Luther King and others who struggled with the idea of identifying Christ as God made it more clear and more <clears throat> important to me to hammer that fact into our children. Because the world will teach them that Christ is good. The world will teach them that Christ was a good person and was a good man what the world won't teach them is that Christ is indeed God himself. <clears throat> so in closing, I hope that you who have kids, you will do the same. Convince your children, teach your children that Jesus is God. Yes, he is the savior of the world. Yes, he is Lord. Yes, he is the son of God. But as Paul writes, and as we see throughout the text, and as Jesus proclaims himself all throughout the New Testament and the Gospels, he is. He says, I am. He identifies himself as God, and we should do that as well. <clears throat> Let us pray.